0: Welcome to National Disability Services' Quality and Safeguards podcast series. This series has been developed to support Victorians to transition to the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commission, which will take effect in Victoria for NDIS participants on the 1st of July 2019. I'm Dave Rolf, Victorian Quality and Safeguards Manager with National Disability Services. And in this episode, we'll discuss some of the transitional arrangements which Victorian service providers should be aware of. Existing quality and safeguarding arrangements will continue to apply for Victorians in receipt of state funding and for those people who have not yet transitioned to the NDIS by the 1st of July 2019. There will be a period of transition where providers who are supporting NDIS participants, as well as people receiving state-funded services and supports, will need to comply with both state-based and the NDIS Commission's quality and safeguarding arrangements. We'll be focusing on transitional arrangements regarding worker screening, incident management and the NDIS Code of Conduct. I'm joined here today by our studio guest, Fiona Still, NDIS Sector Transition Manager with National Disability Services. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Dave. Welcome. So, Fiona, would you like to start off by talking us through some of the transitional arrangements in Victoria regarding worker screening?
1: As part of the National Disability Insurance Scheme Quality and Safeguards Framework, the Commonwealth States and Territories will be implementing a nationally consistent worker screening arrangements. The worker screening is one of a range of strategies that providers need to have in place to identify and minimise risk of harm to people with disabilities. Providers will also be responsible for promoting positive organisational cultures that promote a zero tolerance to abuse, neglect or exploitation of the people that they work with. They need to ensure that there are quality processes in place for recruitment, selection and screening of staff and they need to look at maintaining a focus on ongoing training and education. Workers screening under the NDIS Commission needs to happen for anyone who is working in what has been deemed a risk-assessed role. That includes key personnel within the organisation, the board, the chairman, the directors, the chief executive officer, and senior managers in the organisation. Any roles where the normal duties include direct delivery of services to people with a disability and anyone else working in the organisation who is likely to have more than incidental contact with a person with a disability. The introduction of these nationally consistent worker screening arrangements is set by the NDIS Commission in conjunction with State and Territories, and the State and Territories will be responsible for actually doing the worker screening. In Victoria, the Victorian worker screening rules will not be operational on the 1st of July when we transfer over to the Commission The Commonwealth and our state government are still working to finalise those rules. (laughs) Whilst that finalisation process occurs, a policy has been developed by the Secretary of DHHS and that will apply to worker screening for people working with NDIS participants in Victoria. This policy reflects current DHHS screening requirements that service providers will be familiar with. That includes looking at having police checks for staff, checking with the disability worker exclusion scheme for people who will work with children, having work working with children checks and also referee checks and other screening processes. Anyone who has been screened under these existing requirements will not have to do any additional screening on the 1st of July and new workers coming in to an organisation will need to meet those requirements set by the DHHS Secretary. So when the Worker Screening Unit commences, DHHS and the Commission will have a phased approach to checking existing workers to be screened by the Worker Screening Unit. DHHS have advised us that they will be providing more information in the screening policy as it becomes available.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Fiona. So I suppose the key message there is that there is currently no action that providers need to be doing other than ensuring that their existing workers have been screened through current Victorian requirements?
1: They will need to meet the policy from the DHHS secretary for new workers that they bring into their organisation and DHHS will let us know when the new worker screening unit comes into operation. Dave, one of the other important elements of the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commission is the Code of Conduct. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, sure. So the NDIS Code of Conduct will apply to workers employed or otherwise engaged by an NDIS provider. So that could include contractors and volunteers engaged by the NDIS provider. It's also important to know that the NDIS Code of Conduct will apply to registered providers and unregistered NDIS providers. The NDIS Commission has recently launched the NDIS Worker Orientation Program, which we're all really excited about. It's a new short course which has been launched to assist all NDIS workers to understand what it means to provide services in the NDIS, respecting the rights of people with disability and providing better support. The worker orientation module is called Quality, Safety and New, and it's a free interactive online short course that explains the obligations of workers under the NDIS Code of Conduct from the perspective of NDIS participants. It was developed in consultation with the sector, including NDIS providers and people with a disability, and it takes about 90 minutes to complete. A certificate of completion will be provided at the end of the module, which is then transferable with the employee if they ever change jobs. Registered NDIS providers under the NDIS Commission are encouraged to embed the module within their induction and learning programs and provide opportunities for workers to complete the module over time. We've provided the link to the NDIS Worker Orientation Program in the podcast summary, Upon the release of the NDIS Worker Orientation Program, a number of queries were raised by service providers across the country. These queries were raised with the NDIS Commission and the responses to these have been added to the podcast summary. With regards to transitional arrangements for the Code of Conduct here in Victoria, from the 1st of July 2019, providers who are in receipt of funding from both the Victorian Government and the NDIS will be subject to the Victorian Code of Conduct and the NDIS Code of Conduct. What this means is that if a support worker is providing supports to an NDIS participant, as well as to someone who may be receiving state-funded supports and services, that support worker will need to meet the requirements under the NDIS Commission and have done the Worker Orientation Program and have an understanding of the NDIS Code of Conduct, but they'll also still need to have signed off that they have read and understood their obligations under the Victorian Code of Conduct. So that Victorian Code of Conduct will continue to apply for staff and workers who are supporting people who are funded by the Victorian Government. On the NDIS Commission's website, there is further guidance for both providers and workers with regards to the NDIS Code of Conduct. And there's some really great information in there. NDS has been encouraging service providers to start having conversations within their organisations about that NDIS Code of Conduct and their obligations under each of the elements of that Code of Conduct. It's important that service providers are supporting the people who use their services and their families to understand the Code of Conduct also. Fiona, one of the other elements under the NDIS Commission is around reportable incidents. Would you like to let us know about incident reporting under the NDIS Commission and some of the transitional arrangements?
1: If a provider is registered under the NDIS Commission, it is one of their conditions of registration that they have an incident management system in place. So that's a set of procedures for identifying, managing and resolving incidents. So part of a quality, continuous quality improvement system. In addition to having that system in place, the Commission has also recognised that there are some serious incidents deemed reportable. So things that must be reported to the NDIS if they occur or if there are allegations of them having occurred. And that includes the death of an NDIS participant, serious injury of an NDIS participant, abuse or neglect of an NDIS participant, unlawful sexual or physical contact with or assault of an NDIS participant, sexual misconduct committed against or in the presence of an NDIS participant, including grooming of the NDIS participant for sexual activity and the unauthorised use of restrictive practice in relation to an NDIS participant. The reporting of these incidents to the NDIS Commission doesn't replace existing obligations to report suspected crimes to the police and other relevant authorities. Providers are responsible for preventing, responding to and managing incidents. So registered providers must have in place internal management and reporting arrangements to ensure that all incidents, not just the reportable incidents, are recorded and that actions are taken to respond to them and prevent such incidents from happening again. The NDIS Commission has a range of guidance materials to help build the capacity of NDIS providers to prevent and respond to incidents. When it comes to reporting of reportable incidents, the NDIS Commission has identified minimum frameworks for reporting Most reportable incidents must be notified to the NDIS Commission within 24 hours of a provider's key personnel being made aware of it, with a more detailed report about the incident and actions taken to be provided within five business days. The unauthorised use of restrictive practice must be notified to the Commission within five business days, unless there is harm to a participant, and this must be reported within 24 hours. A final report may also be required within 60 business days of submitting the five-day report. The Commission will advise providers whether a final report is required. In all cases, providers must assess the impact on the NDIS participant, whether the incident could have been prevented, how the incident was managed, and what, if any, changes are required to prevent further similar events occurring. Registered providers must make their records available to auditors as part of their quality assurance process and contribute to the NDIS Commission's investigations relating to incidents. From 1 July 2019, providers who are in receipt of funding from the Victorian Government and the NDIS will be subject to both state-based and NDIS Commission reporting obligations reporting via the state-based SIMS system will continue for people in receipt of state-funded services or support. This includes any person who has not yet transitioned to the NDIS on the 1st of July 2019. Dave, can you tell us about what will happen for NDIS registered providers on the 1st of July this year?
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. So on the 1st of July 2019, Providers who have previously been registered with the NDIA will automatically have their registration transitioned across to the NDIS Commission. So there's really nothing that needs to occur other than await an email from the NDIS Commission outlining next steps. That email will arrive towards the end of June and the email will go to the person who's listed as the contact person on the NDIS portal. So it's important that providers are making sure that that contact person is still currently working at your organisation and that it is the person who you want to receive that email outlining next steps. So providers in Victoria will receive a certificate of registration shortly before the 1st of July date in 2019. So these certificates will contain important information and the most important piece is the period for which the registration is in force. So there'll be an expiry date listed on that certificate. And by that date, providers will need to commence the registration renewal process. The expiry date applied to the registration will take into account a whole range of things. So it looks at the complexity of supports and services currently registered for. It'll look at the legal status of the organisation, the date of the last independent audit against the Human Services Standards. It'll look at recent audit findings against the Human service Standards and any other information that the Victorian Government has provided to the NDIS Commission. So based on what we've seen in New South Wales and South Australia, it's likely that the first renewal date for Victorian providers will be around the 30th of September 2019. Providers will be required to have submitted their online application form for registration renewal by the renewal date identified on that certificate of registration, and they'll also be required to complete an independent review against the practice standards. Submitting this application form generates a scope of audit which is the document that providers then use to approach auditors for quotes to undertake their audit against the NDIA's practice standards that are applicable to them. So providers will have nine months from the registration renewal date by which to complete their audit. Even if a provider has a renewal date to start the process in, say, September 2019, they wouldn't need to complete their Stage 1 audit until June 2020. And then for a certification audit cycle, it will comprise both an initial desktop audit and then a second on-site audit within three months of the first.
1: So the audit, Dave, is part of that checking by the Commission and ensuring that the quality and safeguarding standards have been implemented. Do providers need to be compliant before that auditing process is completed?
0: Absolutely. NDA's providers will need to be compliant with the practice standards that are applicable to them as of the 1st of July, 2019, and none need to be evidencing in their audit how they've been meeting the practice standards throughout the time since the Commission comes into effect. For more information, have a look at the Quality and Safeguards page on our National Disability Services website. Keep your eye on the NDIS Commission's website for up-to-date information about quality and safeguarding arrangements, and a range of resources to support providers and NDIS participants. Further information about Victoria's quality and safeguards arrangements during transition can be found on the Victorian Government's NDIS website. We've provided hyperlinks to these websites in the podcast summary, along with some useful resources. This podcast has been funded by the Victorian Government.